0: everybody, my name is Joe Polino and I'm on the pastoral leadership team here at the church. I get the privilege of helping oversee our Life Groups and I wanted to share an update from one of our Life Group leaders, Marshall Herndon. Uh, he's a man of God and uh, he, I asked him, Hey, how has God been using Life Group to work in your life? And this is what he had to share. He said, Life Group has been a place for God to show me that despite my flaws, I can still be loved and cared for. The friendships that I've made have become a refreshing example of the love Jesus has for his friends. And moving forward, Life Group has provided the opportunity for me to practice extending the same love to others that I have freely received. As a church, we have all been recipients of God's radical generosity towards us. John 3.16, the familiar verse says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. As we receive this radical act of generosity, it impacts us deeply and shapes us into a people marked by generosity as well. One of the ways we express that generosity is by giving financially to fund the mission of Jesus through the church. When we give, we are making a way for others like Marshall to experience the love, grace, and truth of Jesus. At Antioch, there are three ways that you can give financially. Number one, you can give in the giving box in the back of the room. Uh, Number two, you can give online uh, through our secure giving portal at antiochdallas.org. And three, you can mail your gift in to the church. Last, before we transition into the message, I want to invite everyone who's new here to our Welcome to the Family dinner. Welcome to the Family is a free meal we do for everyone who's new to our community. So come break bread with us and we'll help you learn more about what it looks like to belong at Antioch. Our next dinner is February 26th from 5.30 to 7 p.m. Make sure to let us know you're coming so we can make sure we get enough food for everyone to go around. Okay, that's it for this update. Let's prepare our hearts for God's word as we continue in our series on 1 Peter, grace for the everyday stuff of life.
1: Good morning, you guys. How are y'all doing? Good? All right. My name is Donnie Tapey, and I'm on the pastoral staff here, uh, and I have the privilege and joy of sharing with you guys this morning. Uh, so thankful to be here. Uh, in our series that we've been going through called Strong Grace, um, the Apostle Peter, author of 1 Peter, has talked a lot about grace. Last week, uh, he talked to us about politics. Um this week we're going to talk about the workplace, uh, the the workplace, and next week uh, we're going to talk about marriage. So this week in the workplace, um, I believe God has something for us here. Um, as each and every one of us work in different places, obviously, and it uh, and it's 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 an area of need that I feel like God wants to address with us. So because we've got a lot of scripture to go over today, we're going to jump right in. Okay. Uh, please turn to First Peter two uh, eighteen through twenty five on your. In your Bible, your app, whatever you would like. 1 Peter two eighteen through 25. So he starts out and he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So uh, Peter describes a pretty rough workplace, does he not? You know, getting beaten by your boss. And I remember it for me, not getting beaten by my boss, but um, it was three days into my brand new job in 2014, not the one I currently do. Uh, it was three days into my brand new job in 2014, uh, and uh, it was a Wednesday. And I was eager, you know, to show my boss how much of a hard worker I was. So I went up to him and, in his office, and I said, hey, could I come in early? Uh, I would love to come in early on Friday so I could get some extra work done. Uh, before I go into the weekend. And so uh, he said, Sure, I normally get here at, at 8 a.m. on Friday. He said, But I can meet you here at 7. said, Great, I'll see you here on Friday. So that was Wednesday. The next day, Thursday rolls around, uh, and I go into the office at 8 a.m., and as soon as I walk in, my boss's right hand man kind of comes up to me. He goes, Hey, bro, where have you been? And I was like, Starting times at 8, right? He said, Well, yeah, but the boss said that you were going to meet him here early at 7. And I said, Well, we had we talked about me coming in early on Friday, not not today. Uh, he said, well, he's he's pretty angry. So I was like, you know, great. Third day into the job, I was like, but it's a simple misunderstanding, you know, it'll be fine. So I go, I kind of pop my you know head into my boss's office, and I was like, hey. Uh, and before I could get out a word, he looked up to me and he said, uh, where the bleep have you been? Uh, and I kind of went like that, and I, I said, uh, well, sir, I said, you know, we had talked about me coming in early on Friday, not, not today. I said, uh, I'm so sorry if there's any misunderstanding or if I misspoke, um, and he said, he kind of quickly retorted and came back, and he said, whatever. He said, the next time you ask me to come in early, and I get into a fight with my wife because of it, you better be on time if you want to keep your bleeping job. He said, this isn't a good start for you, get back to work and close the bleeping door on your way out. You know, I was like, thank you, sir. You know, I, I, didn't, I, I was like, I had no idea how to reply in that moment. And so I think I, I don't even know if I said anything. I think I just said, I'm so sorry or something like that. And I backed out uh, and I, I hoped and prayed in my heart. I was like, maybe he's just having the worst day of his life. And he took it out on me. I can understand that. You know, we all have bad days and sometimes we lash out. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Uh, That was just the beginning of all sorts of different things. Um, Morning meetings where uh, there was always somebody, it might not be you, but there was always somebody who was picked out and humiliated and demeaned in the meeting Um, in in all sorts of horrendous ways. There was um, times where I was asked to be complicit in unethical behaviors of all sorts and pressured to do so. Uh, based upon your pay and things like that. Uh, There were times where I was asked to directly to lie to customers to cover something up in order to, you know, for some end to fulfill some goal. Um, And um, so the next, oh, and also I forgot to mention this, my my compensation plan, my contract that I had signed for the job, I, I began to realize after two and three months that it wasn't really worth the paper that it was printed on. Uh, it was one of those things where kind of pitched to you to get you to sign on and uh, to hire you. And the next two years were some of the most difficult uh, that I've that I had faced at that time. Uh, it was, and not to mention, a really joyful thing had happened. Meredith and I had just had our our sweet little daughter Addie uh, about two months into that job, and so now I've got you know this beautiful baby at home. I've got a wife that's a stay-at-home mom, and starting hours changed from 8 a.m. to 7 a.m., and I found myself working from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., sometimes 8 p.m., and so I didn't have any time to even look for another job and take care of, you know, child and all this, and then on top of that, I wasn't making the money that I had been promised, so I couldn't have even saved up to be able to quit and just look for something else and have the time to do it, so I began to feel trapped. I began to feel like, like, Lord, Lord, what are, you, what are you going to do here? I need help. If that at all sounds familiar to you, or if your stress level has ever been up that high, or if it's that high right now, what I don't want to do today is to, in any way, to attempt to tell you what you should do. If I, if I hear your circumstances and I say, this is what God wants. Well, we, we each and every one of us need the leading of the Holy Spirit in whatever circumstance we're at. So that's not what I'm doing today. Today's not going to be a find the answer for your situation day. But what I do want to do today is I want to lift up Jesus. I want to lift up our amazing Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to lift him up in such a way that no matter whatever situation you find yourself in, you'll be able to, uh, you'll seek and find the amazing, strong grace and strength that he has for you in your particular situation So that no matter what situation you're in, whether it's the best job you've ever had or whether you just have problems with your coworkers or whether you can't bear to go to sleep tonight because you know you have work tomorrow. And I I was there that you'll find that strong grace to know that he can sustain you and not only sustain you just so that you merely survive, but that so he can help you thrive in that place in relationship with him. The job may need to change. Sure. The Holy Spirit will lead you to that but so that you can thrive in, with him and in your relationship with Jesus. Does that make sense? Amen. All right. Well, and also, too, my desire, in addition to that, is I, I don't want you to see Jesus as just this thing that helps us on Sundays and, and in this part of our life, in this sphere. I want, I want you to see how Jesus changes our Mondays and our Tuesdays and our Wednesdays. He affects and changes every part of our life. He shapes, enriches, strengthens, and breathes life into every part of our lives. Uh, God loves you that much. Jesus loves you that much. So when Peter says to us, uh, I'm sorry, so that's the end goal. So that's the end goal where we want to be. We want to be encouraged. We want Jesus to be lifted up. We want to find our strength in him. But how do we get there? From the story I described to getting to that place, how do we get there? Uh, Let's look at what Peter has to say to us and what the Holy Spirit is speaking to the people in Peter's day. Uh, I think it's important to understand maybe some more of that and some of the context. If we know what the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to those people, then maybe we can understand a little bit more of what Peter's trying to say to us. Does that make sense? So uh, get some of the context and then move on from there. So, Peter says, servants, be subject to your masters. Uh, Bible scholars tell us that uh, he was referring to a wide range of vocations within the Roman Empire. Things like... um, Things like physicians, teachers, managers of estates, uh, musicians, skilled artisans, and so on and so forth. Uh, And so much so that we can actually similarly translate that servants be subject to your masters as employees be subject to your bosses. And in fact, that the word that he uses is so uh, similar uh, to what he was meaning to his audience, that employees is actually a better translation for us today. Does that make sense? So, it would be like him like him saying servants to the people that, he, that, that are listening, to that are reading this letter, is like what it would be of us hearing employees. So we know who Peter's talking to. He's talking to everyday folks. He's talking to folks like you and folks like me, uh, workers that are in many ways um, like you and I, and that uh, now that we know kind of who Peter's talking to, well, what are his instructions to him in the passage? He says, and you can look at this in verse 18, Servants, be subject to or submit yourself to or obey, it could be translated, your masters. Not only to the good and the gentle master, but also to the unjust. And unjust here literally means crooked, uh, dishonest, or morally evil. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So where does Peter point them to? He points them to Jesus and to his example. He says, be like Jesus, suffer like Jesus, and it's a gracious thing in the sight of God. So... We could be just be done there today if you want. Be like Jesus and suffer well, people, you know. What's the problem, you know? What's the, why, why, why can't we do that? Why are we not immediately encouraged when we hear, be like Jesus? I am in one sense because I have Jesus to, to look to. I have him to focus. I have an example. But when I really look at Jesus, I, I feel inadequate. Extremely inadequate. So, that I mean, that's a high calling. Be like Jesus, the one man in history who did not sin. Why was that so hard for me? And so, what's the key to doing that? To living like Jesus. How do we work that out? Well, the key, I believe, is that if you're looking to Jesus, I'm going to read this so I don't get it wrong. If you're looking to Jesus only as a good example then you're doomed to fail because Jesus isn't really a great practical example for you or for me if he's only an example to you. I'll read it again. If you're looking to Jesus only as a good example or a good moral teacher, then you're doomed to fail because Jesus is not a great example, a real life example, a practical example of how to live if all he is to you is an example or a good moral teacher. Let me explain further. Jesus has to be much more to us than just an example. As an example, Jesus' example alone, it's more of an indictment to us. You know, you look at his life and it, it, it just, it screams, I could never do that. He never spoke a word out of turn. The man never sinned, never got frustrated uh, with his friends and, and lashed out at him, never did a selfish thing, never uh, did anything for his own gain or greed. I mean, if that's our example, he set the bar so high that you or I or anyone could, could never achieve it, could never achieve it by our own efforts. But it's not really, when we think about it, it's not really, well, maybe I could try hard enough. no. It's not really about how hard we try. It seems to be there's something inside us that's broken, something that is always inclined to sin, something that's always inclined to be greedy or selfish or to put ourselves first, something that's always inclined towards hurting others. And if, 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 if we look at that and if we see this, this, this inclination towards sin, it's, it's kind of like this disease that we have. And, it's, and no matter how hard uh, we work out, no matter how healthy we eat, no matter what we do to try to fix ourselves, we, we still know we're dying on the inside. We still know we're being eaten up by the inside out. And that's what sin is. It's a disease. It's a perversion of the desires that God has placed inside of you to be met and fulfilled in him, and it 's a perversion of desires it 's taking other things in this world and trying to trying to fulfill those desires with everything this world could could provide money relationships that girl or guy maybe they 'll make me feel maybe they 'll fill that deep hole inside, maybe this car will do it, maybe this house will do it, maybe this job will do it, maybe closing that deal will do it all these things that were that we begin to fill our desires with. They're a perversion of what God meant to be filled only in him and in him alone. And so virtually um, uh, everyone in my boss did unethical things in order to fill this, these desires. So let's go up to verse 11. Uh, a little bit earlier in the text, we uh, read this last week. First Peter says, Beloved, I urge you, As aliens and strangers to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So that phrase there, passions of the flesh, uh, scholars say that passions right there can be literally translated over desires. Any desire that would make itself big enough in your life that it takes over your soul. Any desire that you desire more than Jesus or what's most important. Any desire that you pursue as the one thing that will satisfy you. And so, like I said, virtually everyone in my old job did things to fulfill some desire. For them, most often, it was something regarding wealth or power or status. And so, it took many forms, whether whether it was being willing to do or say literally just about anything to be the one to close the deal, to be the one to get the the, the, the signature, to be the one to get the wire transfer, or whether it was lying to a customer on a shipping date in order to get the wire transfer, in order to get their commission before the, end the, before the end of the month or knowingly selling something for three, four times what it was worth to a customer who had less knowledge or to an older customer sometimes that had a lot of money in order to make maximize profit. Or let's take a closer look at home. Maybe you've never done some of those things. Have you ever been tempted to slander your boss? I have. Every single day I worked at that job. Every single day was a struggle to not um, to not take vengeance with my tongue or to not lash out at him or undercut him. And many days I would come home and because I tried so hard not to do that at work, I'd come home and I'd start venting to my wife and I would sometimes cross over that line into slander. And she would graciously forgive me. And receive me. And then encourage me and support me. So, what do we need? If that's my status, if that's, if that's my heart condition, and I need someone to help, me, help deliver me from that, if that's everyone else's heart status in the world, what do we need? Do we need merely an example to follow? Just, oh, that's how you do it. I thought, I've been doing it this way. you show me this way. That makes sense. Let me do that. No, that's not what we need. We need a savior. We need a redeemer. We need Jesus as Messiah, as Lord, as friend, as rescuer. Before he can ever begin to be a good example or something that we can emulate. Timothy Keller puts it like this in a sermon of his. He says, In Paul's letter to the Galatians, Jesus didn't say, But far be it from me to boast in anything except the teaching and example of our Lord Jesus. No. Paul said, Far be it from me to boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and his teaching and example. No. He said, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We need the gospel. Look at verse 24. It's right there in our passage. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, church, you have been healed. We need God to do something for us. And he did. He did something amazing for us on our behalf that we could not do our own. Peter addresses this in verse 21. He says, for to this you have been called. Well, Peter, how are we called? To what are we called to? Look in verse 9. You find the answer there. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you, there it is, called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You can't make yourself a Christian. You're called. You have to be called out of darkness and into light. What does it mean to be chosen and to be called? It means that someone outside of your circumstances has come in and said, I choose you. Amen. You are mine. It says, I call you out of darkness. You're not doing it yourself. In fact, that's the one, that's the biggest difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. Is that you can do it, is that, that question, can you do it on your own? You want to be a, a Buddhist? Go find the teachings of Buddha, follow his example, and you can attain enlightenment. And you can do that on your own. You want to be a Muslim, follow the teachings of Muhammad. You can do that on your own. You can become righteous on your own. In, in, in every other case, every other religion, you can do it on your own. All you have to do is just follow the teachings or example of the founder of that religion. See what, you See what I'm getting at here? He can't just be an example. He has to be much more than an example to us. He has to be your Savior, your Deliverer, your Messiah, your Friend, your Rescuer, that without which you would drown in sin. And once you've been rescued by Jesus, yes, we have to respond to Jesus. There's a part we have in it to respond to him, to reach out and grab the hand of our Rescuer. But make no mistake, we're not pulling ourselves out of the water. Does that makes sense? We're not, we're not the ones doing it. We're not the ones throwing the life raft. He is delivering us, and guess what? That is good news for us. If it was me, I'm in the same boat. I'm in the same place of trying, 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 and never really getting there, being frustrated. But Jesus saves us, Jesus pulls us out of the water. And so once you've been rescued by Jesus, once you've been called by him, out of darkness into his marvelous light, Peter goes on to say, look in verse 11. This is the verse we read earlier. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, or aliens and strangers, it could be translated, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So he says, I urge you as aliens and strangers. He doesn't say, I urge you uh, as people that are just like everyone else in the world. He says, I urge you as a believer, as an alien and a stranger to abstain from the passage of the flesh. You are now an alien and a stranger if you know Jesus. You're an alien and a stranger in this world. Your citizenship has changed. You're no longer a citizen of, of this place. You're a citizen of heaven. You operate by the politics of heaven. You're different. You're no longer seeking fulfillment in what this world has to offer because you found it in Jesus and in relationship with him. As an alien and a stranger, the, the good thing about it and the amazing thing is that you'll begin to stand out. When you begin to live like Jesus as an alien and a stranger, when you begin to live like Jesus because he's your savior, your Lord, and you're empowered by the Holy Spirit and you begin to live like him, you'll begin to stand out. And I, uh, I realized this one day while at the office at my old job. Uh, you've heard it before in many settings. Um, uh, Men sometimes get together. Our, our old office, there would be everyone would be gathered around. You know, instead of the water cooler, it was the it was the fridge full of beer, uh, and everyone would kind of get a little drunk towards the end of the day, um, and they would usually talk around that circle. And I determined one not to be a part of these times. I, I would engage in conversation, um, but when the conversation turned and it began to be a bunch of men gathered around dishonoring their wives and bashing their girlfriends. And speaking horribly about them, I, would, I didn't want to be a part of it. One, I didn't want to be an audience to it. And so usually I would just kind of, you know, back out. I'd go get some work done or um, do something else like that. So one day this, begin, this begins to happen. My boss is standing there in the group. And I, the conversation starts to go that way, so I start to excuse myself. And one of my, one of my coworkers, who's more bold than the rest, uh, looked over me and he goes, Hey, Donnie. And, you know, I was like, what is he about to ask me? You know, and, I, and and he says, hey, Donnie, he goes, why don't we ever hear anything bad about your wife? Or is she just that perfect? Trying to get under my skin. And he might have a little bit in the moment. <laughs> and so I just took a deep breath, and I was like, Lord Jesus, help me to do anything here. And so, <laughs> other than just deer in headlights. And so, but... So he asked me, and everyone's standing there, and I, I said, well, so my wife and I are just like you guys, just like anyone else. I said, we have fights, we have problems, um, disagreements, things like that. I said, but, and you guys know this, uh, my wife and I are Christians, we, we love Jesus. And one of the things that Jesus tells us is, is how to live and how to honor one another. He tells us that we, when, we, when we honor one another, Uh, it does this amazing thing in our marriage that it increases my love for my wife. And I start to love her more. I just have more affection in my heart for her when I honor her both in my head and with my words and when I'm with her. And our fights tend to last a little bit less. They're shorter. And it's easier to forgive her when I have honor ready in my heart for her. But... On the flip, and the same for my wife with me, but on the flip side, when I dishonor her and when I speak and when I have bitterness in my heart and I, I dishonor her, it tends to make my heart even more bitter. And I start picking out all the things about her that I don't like or that I think should change. And the same with her, with me, and our, our love dwindles for one another. And I, I start to find that it makes our marriage worse. So when I, when I follow Jesus and I honor my wife, my marriage goes better. It's just a better way to live for us. So I was like, wow, oh, okay. You know, I wanted to just walk away at that point point, be like, settled. There's that, you know, and just, and just, just like leave it there. But uh, right, right as I said that, the coworker goes, oh, come on, man. Uh, kind of scoffing at it. He said, oh, come on, man. He said, at least tell us a story about one of your fights. He said, you don't have to call her a bee or anything. And I was like, Okay. And I didn't want to seem like I was trying to be, you know, closed off or, or not open. And so I said, sure, I'd, I'd love to share. <laughs> so, so I started to share, and I started to talk about how, just as a fight earlier that week, that, and I explained my side and how I was being selfish, and I explained my wife's side and how she was being selfish, and I explained how we reconciled, how we came to, you know, forgive one another, how that came about, and then I talked about how thankful I am for my wife And for her forgiveness and her love for me. Now, as you can imagine, that wasn't the funniest story uh, that I could have told. It didn't have the punchlines that they were wanting. It wasn't as juicy as they were wanting. Um, And there was this awkward silence that told me that, you know, at the end of the story. That was just kind of like, Lord, please deliver me from this moment, you know, from this awkward silence. But in the moment of that, in the, in that awkward silence, my boss uh, turns over to me and he says, "I don't know how you do that." He says, "When I, when we get into a fight, man, it'll drag on for weeks, never getting resolved. We won't talk for weeks, and then if we do need to talk, we'll just sweep it under the rug to kind of move on. But nothing ever gets resolved." And I just, it's just, I can't. I don't know how you do that in the moment. So I just. And I was just filled with compassion for him in the moment. It was like, you know, every, everyone else in the group just like dropped away. And I, I just looked at him and I was like, well, I said, boss, I'm trying not to use names, I said, boss, it's not, it's not, it's not me. I said, the, the wonderful thing about Jesus is that when I know how much I've been forgiven and loved by Jesus, then I can give it away. I can give it to my wife. It's so easy to forgive her because I've been forgiven so much more by Jesus. And kind of right as that moment was, I thought it was so good. I was like, he's going to get saved. <laughs> my, my my coworker chimed in and he goes, well, when my girlfriend says that, I just tell her she's a bee. And everybody laughed except my boss and I. We, 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 he wasn't laughing. For him, the moment was serious. He saw something there. And you see two different reactions there, don't you? You see one uh, that was scoffing. uh, One that was scoffing at at truth like a fool. And I'm not name-calling, like biblical definition of a fool. Someone scoffing at, at the truth of God. At the way Jesus tells us to do things. And then you have one that sees something compelling. You have one that sees something as different. Something that that makes something come out of this says, man, I, I want to that seems so good, but I. it seemed impossible to him. How could I ever do that? It's cause he didn't know he didn't need to know Jesus as a savior or as an example. Only he needed Jesus as a savior. He didn't see it in that moment, but it was there. It was offered to him. He was being called by Jesus. When we know and uh, I want to say this too, that, that was a huge highlight of my working there. Don't want you to think every day was like that. In fact, uh, most days and in many circumstances, I struggle with what to, to reply with some days. And there were days where I, I didn't know how to live like Jesus in my workplace. You know, I came home, I felt so victorious from that, but that wasn't every day. But when we know Jesus as our Savior and our identity as aliens and strangers in this world we begin to be able to live more like Jesus. We, be, we begin to be able to live out the example of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. And uh, Peter points to this in, uh, in verse 22. He says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Uh, when we live out of Jesus's calling to us and we live with him being our Lord and Savior and not just a moral teacher, there's something that happens in our hearts and we begin to enter into his joy. When we live like Jesus, something happens, our hearts begin to be enlarged and we can experience more of Jesus, more more intimacy with him, more about who he is. But we cannot do it without seeing him as Lord and Savior, as friend, as Messiah, as laying everything upon him. And this joy in Jesus is worth it. Not only is it worth it, and is it worth just how wonderful it is to live in God, to have joy in God, but it's also the best way to reach out, the best way to bless your workplace, the best way to help others come to know him. Because when they see your good deeds, when they see who you are in Jesus. When they see Jesus' example, it prepares the field. It's like tilling the field so that that seed can, can take place, can, can be planted, and can grow. So when we do that, God does this amazing work of using our example, uh, of using his example lived out in our lives to be able to reach others for, for Jesus. So, friends, answering this call of Jesus to live like him is difficult, it's hard. You'll have days that you're discouraged. You'll have days that you fail to live out these words, but that's what God's strong grace is there for you. That's why Jesus, when he suffered and endured and was tempted and endured and did all that, he, what he suffered and endured was far greater than anything you or I will ever feel or experience. And so he's able to sympathize with us in our weakness. He's able to strengthen us when we need it. Does that make sense? So if you're in a bad work environment today or if you're in any situation where you feel like you need the grace of God, where you need God to sustain you and not only to sustain you, but to help you to thrive in your relationship with him, I just encourage you, we're about to go into a time of reflection and we'll have the scripture up on the screen and just as you reflect and as you pray, I just pray that if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, just be obedient, just say yes to him. If you don't know Jesus today and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, Say yes to him. He wants to not only strengthen you, but empower you to live. Empower you to live in your daily life. And he has strong grace for you today.
2: your breath in our lungs so we